Russian President Vladimir Putin critic and chief political rival Alexei Navalny was sentenced to another 19 years in prison for extremism. Joining us to discuss this and the latest on the war in Ukraine is Andrew Sulis, fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Thank you for joining us this morning, Andrew. You're very welcome, and good morning, Andy. Uh, well, let's get to the the, uh, the latest, and the latest on Alexei Navalny's imprisonment. How's it being received in Russia and globally? What's the response been? Uh, not much. Uh, Navalny is, in terms of Russian politics and within Russia, a political outlier. Uh, he is sort of represents uh, the intelligentsia, a certain section of the intelligentsia, sort of a liberal tradition in Russia, sort of pseudo-liberal, because he's not a complete liberal. Uh, the point is, uh, it, the ripple effect is minimal in Russia. He, he is a political outlier. It's, it, uh, it's, not, it's, it's much more in the West, and even in the West, there's not much resonance on this story. All right, let's uh, talk about the latest happenings as far as, you know, perhaps putting a cap on this uh, conflict over the weekend, Saudi Arabia held a summit including representatives from 40 countries aiming to draft key principles on how to end the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. What do we know about the summit that happened over the weekend? Yeah, so this is interesting. So, okay, so you have basically all the players except Russia at this meeting. And, and people say, well, Russia's isolated. Not really. What you're seeing is a process, a very long process of hammering out positions that one day, because one day this war will end when people on the sides are exhausted enough, uh, and they're laying out the positions. So what we've had here is this is the Ukrainian opportunity to present its, what, what they have a 10-point plan. And so they presented that. And basically, you have the Western core supporters supporting that plan. But you have people like China, India, and China has its own 12-point plan uh, uh, um, listening and agreeing to one principle of the, of, the, of the Ukrainian plan, which is territorial sovereignty. Now, the Chinese plan, the 12-point plan, also has territorial sovereignty in it, but it has one thing the Ukrainian plan doesn't have, and that's key for Russia, actually, which is no advancement of military blocks. This is the code for saying no NATO enlargement, which means no NATO enlargement in Ukraine. This is the contentious point that actually is the reason why the war started in the first place. So this is the beginning of a long process. There's a lot more conferencing to take place, but, you know, it's very important to talk because at the end of the day, it's only through talk that we're going to end the war. And the talks happening, as mentioned, at this summit in Saudi Arabia over the weekend. Why Saudi Arabia? What is what is their interest in getting involved? Yeah, well, Saudi Arabia is on a sort of um, uh, goodwill uh, path in their foreign policy. They've been, of course, in the doghouse for a long time because of the murder of the, the journalist and so on. And so uh, they've been taking steps over the last couple of years to redeem themselves in the in the international uh, in international public opinion and and among other states. And so they've been actually doing a very good job. And and people are now trekking to Saudi Arabia to negotiate deals, and they're coming back into the fold. This is sort of the, the reformation of Saudi Arabia in the world's eyes. Uh, other news: uh, Kiev mentions that they were successful in an attack on a Russian. A Black Sea naval base. What can you tell us about this attack? Yeah, so um, they, they, the Ukrainians have been using, because they, they are not able right now to punch through the Russian defense line on the front line, they've been relying far more, much more, on drone attacks uh, uh, inside Russia proper. And so the, they've, they've hit in the Black Sea area, they've, they've hit certain uh, oil depots, in, in, as you mentioned there, in, in, in near the base. They've also hit 
a freighter, a civilian freighter that, that the Ukrainians say was taking jet fuel to the uh, to the Russian port, and they hit the, uh, the the rear engine component and destabilized the thing. Now it's being towed by the Russians into port. But the point is that that the Ukrainians are relying on drone strikes into Russia proper to take the war to the Russians because and and to kind of cause some form of attrition because they're not able to break through on the line. So it's an alternative way of hitting the Russians. So have we learned, you know, we talked a couple months ago about the Ukraine counteroffensive. Have we learned that this is much more difficult than the Ukrainian forces had originally thought would be? Absolutely. I think people underestimated uh, the strength of the Russian, what I call the, the deliberate defense. And and so the, the, the people just assumed there was too much of an assumption that they could break through the Russian lines, that they were brittle. Uh, because they had that experience in late 2022, where the Ukrainians actually did uh, two very success- successful offensives against Russian positions in Kharkiv and Kherson. But the Russians there were, were they were off balance. They were not in a del- deliberate defense. They were what's called hasty defense. So people thought there would be a replay. Whether what it isn't, uh, and and you, other observers, I mean myself, I've stated over over and over again that this would be a very different fight, and it is a very different fight. Now the other complicating factor for the Ukrainians is that. They've had like maybe eight weeks to train up on these Western armaments that they're that they're actually forming up these units with. That's not a lot of training time, and so some of these units did extremely badly actually in June when they when they tried to hit the Russian positions. Now the Ukrainians are reassessing it, and they realize they have to go very slow on this because they also don't have that many more people left. So they've got to really be careful about casualty rates. Let's uh, talk about uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky. And uh, now we're hearing details of a foiled alleged uh, assassination plot against the Ukraine president uh, back in July. Can you tell us what we know about this? And I'm sure this is one we're hearing about, but there must have been more than a couple over the past year, 18 months. Yeah, we we, we can we, we certainly uh, can assume that there were more. We don't have facts on that, so I can't speculate. But on this particular event, this was now the story was released the other day by the Ukrainian uh, government. Uh, the event itself occurred in June uh, when the uh, the dam had broke uh, in the Dnieper River and there was the flooding areas. And uh, Zelensky was going on a tour of the flooded areas. And there was a woman who was working. She's a sort of lower level employee uh, of the government that was working in the area. And she uh, was apparently gathering information on where Zelensky would go. She had sort of an idea of his, of his itinerary. And she was signaling that information back to the Russians, the contacts she had. Uh, the idea was that if the Russians decided to take out Zelensky, they could. And so the Ukrainian in counterintelligence people got wind of it. And they actually caught her in the act, as they say. And so she was arrested and the plot was foiled. So nothing happened. But yes, this person was caught in the act of preparing information that could have led to a Russian assassination. That doesn't mean the Russians were actually going to act on the data, but there was a potential for it. All right. We've talked about where we are today. We've looked back over the past few months, if you will, Andrew. Now to look ahead, because, you know, we are in August. We're not quite at the winter months, but it seems like not that long ago we were talking about the cold winter months and the grips of the weather, how uh, much of an impact they'd have uh, moving ahead for the conflict. Now we're getting closer. Do you think we're going to push through another winter or do you think we'll have it resolved by that point, Andrew? 
Uh, both options are possible. That's a cop out, but it's true. Uh, so, so let me explain that. So, option A, let's say, uh, which is uh, uh, the the question first becomes: Will the Ukrainians succeed in breaking through the Russian lines before uh, the end of the summer uh, campaigning season? Most uh, analysts say no. Uh, the, the, the Ukrainian positions, or the Ukrainian, the Russian defenses are too strong, and the Ukrainians can't break through which means you get to the fall season when the weather starts turning bad and you start up getting winter and operations slow down. doesn't mean it's impossible, but it slows down. So do the parties, Russians and Ukrainians, at that point begin to consider peace talks right, or ceasefire at least? Right now, the, uh, the, the estimates are no, although it's possible, because neither side still has the appetite to do what to take to, uh, to compromise on the ceasefire. If that's the case, and if exhaustion levels are not sufficient, that's really the question. Will exhaustion levels be sufficient to force them to, to negotiate? If not, then we're into a war in 2024. And then the same equation kicks in. In 2024, as they start presumably fighting a winter war, uh, will exhaustion come in? When, the question is, when does exhaustion force Russia and Ukraine to the negotiating table? That's really the equation. All right. Lots of ground we covered this morning. Thanks so much, Andrew. We appreciate your time. You're very welcome, Andy. My pleasure. Andrew Rosillis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs.